0: Galatians 5:16 through 17. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Verses 22 to 26 says. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another to be jealous of one another.
1: Tonight we're going to be learning our second lesson from the book, book of Acts. Tonight we are actually going to learn about how the Holy Spirit empowers humanity to accomplish the work of God. We're going to learn about how the Holy Spirit empowers humanity to accomplish the work of God. And today I had an awesome opportunity just to sit down and speak with Jose Adan from Impacto in Honduras. And the Lord is doing some amazing work in his life. And I just said, hey, would you come and share with us tonight what God is doing? And what I want you to understand, as you listen to his story, he would be the first one to tell you that it's not about him. It's about God moving and working in his life. And I think it fits perfectly with the lesson that we're going to learn from God's word tonight. So if you would, do me a favor and welcome Jose." on up to share his story and what God's doing in his life.
2: Good evening. Um, I'm from Impacto Church in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Some of you may have heard about Impacto. Some of you are going to Impacto San Pedro in in a couple of weeks. Um, It's unbelievable. We were talking to Ben today. It's unbelievable that... um, in the year 2000, uh, Pastor Keith Moore was sent as a missionary from Bellevue Church to Impacto Honduras. And um, it has become a movement. We have we have four churches now in Honduras and one Hispanic church in Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh, Bellevue has been a part of what God has been doing in Honduras and Bellevue has been a part of, of what his, he has been doing in my life also. Um, so I came to Impact the Church actually 16 years ago, and, um, I had the opportunity to listen about, uh, God, about, I, I, I had a relationship with Jesus, but I didn't understand how to share my faith, how to talk about Jesus. Uh, uh, I remember one of the pastors telling me, so tell me about the gospel. And I said, well, Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And he said, well, lead me to a Bible verse that teaches that. And I said, well, maybe... Someday, <laughs> I can tell you a Bible verse, not right now. So I was encouraged to go to the Bible and, and say, hey, this is the gospel, this is what God is doing, and this is what God is doing in, in, in my life. Um, um, so a few years later, I, 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 since I became a believer, I wanted to go to the mission field. I started to, um, I went into medical school, I started to go into medical school, I was absorbed by medical school, and close to the end of medical school um i remember pastor keith uh, having an easter service and he was talking about paul having the marks of jesus on him and i looked at myself and i said well i don't have any of the marks of jesus on me i'm not like paul i'm not like peter i'm not like any of the disciples that have given their life to preach the gospel to all nations and then i said well there has to be modern peters modern pauls that are preaching the gospel to all nations So I started going online and started seeing persecution around the world that uh, maybe us in America and and, and, in the western side of the world are not uh, perceiving or looking. We have the opportunity to even open our Bibles in any Starbucks or something like that. And in the rest of the world, it's not like that. People are actually dying because of the gospel. People are actually dying to preach uh, because they're preaching the word of God. And I started listening and hearing about that and started praying for different countries around the world. And God put in my heart to start praying from the Muslim communities. And and He said, Well, Jose, there's a lot of need about the gospel in Honduras, but there are people that do not want to go to preach the gospel to unreached people groups. And since that time, I started praying, I started crying, and and I started going in different mission trips. And I remember in 2015 going to Egypt and in 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 um, seeing what the Lord was doing there, uh, coming back from the, from the uh, mission trip from Egypt, I said, well, no women, no girl is going to be crazy enough like me to go to the mission field. And um, four months later, I met my wife. <laughs> and we started praying together. And I said, Wendy, uh, wait, see, her name is Wendy. And I said, Wendy, we have to pray to see if this is the same calling that God has for you. And six months after that, she said, I'll go wherever you want to go. And I said, Wendy, it's not about me. It's about God putting that in your heart. And, and I said, you're not ready. So we're going to pray a little bit more. She was mad. <laughs> but three months after that, she said, I'm ready. Even if it's not with you, I'm going to the mission field. And I said, yes, now you're ready. We're, we're getting married. So we got married a year after we started dating. And after that, the Lord has opened a lot of doors. Um, we, went, we went to help in, in one of the uh, church plants. And after that, Impacto um, uh, Church asked me, hey, do you, do you want to come and open a new church plant? And, and I said, yes, I, I want to help. I, we we want to do that as a family, but we're going to commit three years and then go into a mission field. After three years, well, everybody knows something happened in the world, something called the pandemic, and a lot of doors started to close. And I said, well, we're probably just staying in Honduras and, and, and preaching the gospel here. And that's what got once. And God started to open doors again. And I, we had the opportunity to go to Morocco last year, to go to Morocco this year. And we started walking through the streets and we started seeing people um, well, like me with uh, my skin tone and uh, seeing people that uh, have were wearing the same clothes as me, m- modern clothes and uh, cities close like Honduras, and culture close like Honduras. And, and I started asking, well, um, what is the gospel here? What, what are the workers And Zero percent Christianity, no workers, nobody preaching the gospel. And a lot of people in my country have heard the gospel. And I said, well, they don't have anybody. They have never heard the gospel. We, we need to go. I texted my wife that day and said, we're, we're going to Morocco. We're going to preach the gospel. And when I thought about unreached people groups, I thought about the Amazon, the jungle, and stuff like that. But seeing people like me in a city where, where I live, and the culture is sort of like what I have, but they have never heard the gospel. There's a there's a huge need around the world. And I was so happy hearing uh, Ben talking to, uh, today to me that Bellevue it, it, that we 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 are having the same um, uh, vision as a church. We. We know that the church is now global. So it's, it's uh, uh, churches around the world, reaching the world, uh, different cultures to do it. Um, we don't want to be Wendy and me as missionaries. We wanna be a part of the movement. We wanna go to unreached people groups and we wanna be catalysts so that other Latin Americans can come to, to the world and, and be a part of that and train them, train them with, with the Bible and train them with uh, uh, how to do missions and unreached people groups. So we're, we're going to try to do that next year. Uh, we're going to partner with Bellevue Church, hopefully. <laughs> and uh, we're going to start preaching the gospel. And, and um, hopefully one of you guys someday can join us in Morocco and start preaching the gospel to un, unreached people groups. And, and um, um, we can conquer the world and, and um, bring the gospel to everybody. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me.
1: Can, can we pray over you real quick? Yeah. Can we pray over you? Yeah. Um, I would love if some of you wouldn't mind just coming up, and we're just going to lay our hands on Jose Adon and we're going to pray over him. And we're going to pray that the Lord will continue to open doors for his family and that the Holy Spirit will fill them with unusual power so that they can take the gospel to this unreached, unengaged people group. So let's just take a little moment, and if you're here and and you're not Just lift your hand to Jose and pray over him just like we are praying over him. And let's just pray that the Lord will move and work in Morocco. Pray for the work that you are doing in Morocco. Lord, I know that if you are moving on the hearts of Jose and Wendy and his family, Lord, that you are moving in the hearts of individuals that are in that country right now. Lord, in a country that just has walked through tragedy with thousands who lost their life due to an earthquake, Lord, many of which had never had the opportunity to share the gospel, to hear the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you will be with Jose Adon and others that will be joining him. Lord, I pray that there will be an army of your workers that will go and share your gospel to Morocco. Lord, I pray for Jose and his family as they seek prayer partners, as they seek all that they need so that they can be sent well. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will provide for everything that they need. And Lord, I pray that we as a church and we as a young adult ministry, Lord, that we will pray for Jose and Wendy and their two boys. Lord, that we will pray that you will protect them, that we will pray that They will see an abundant harvest, Lord, that you will give them exactly what they need when they need it. And may they sense your presence every step of the way. And Lord, we pray right now, Lord, that you will move. Move in ways that we can't explain. And we will give you all praise, honor, and glory. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Jose. Praise the Lord. (laughs) <laughs> praise the lord is that not awesome i i loved like that little piece that he said i don't know if you caught it he said that you know wendy came up to him and said hey i'll go wherever you go and he says you're not ready that go pray some more right how how many guys would be bold enough to do that right <laughs> you find you find a, a a good woman and you're like no you're not ready you go ahead and pray back some more and i love but the point of that was is he wanted Wendy to have the same call on his life, on her life that was on his life. Because if they are both called, this is the way God works. When they, if they are both called when he's having a bad day and she's she'll be having a good day, or when she's having a bad day, he'll be having a good day. And they can always rely on the call that God has placed in their hearts to go and take the gospel to the nations. And so I'm excited about what God's going to do in Morocco and how God is going to move. He told me that the vision of their church is to send 10 units, that's 10 missionary families, to Morocco over the next 10 years. I think that is a God-sized vision, and I can't wait to see how God is going to mobilize Latin Americans to take the gospel to the nations, and we are excited to be a part of it and see how God is going to move and work. I'm excited about what God's going to do tonight. If you have your Bibles or your journals that we handed out last week, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. If you were here last week, you remember we kind of set the stage for what we were going to do the rest of the semester. We are studying the book of Acts and we are learning lessons from the early church. We talked about the context of the book, who wrote the book, and who it was written to, and all of that. I won't rehash all of that, but I will just remind you of the lesson that we learned last week. The lesson that we learned last week is that God is faithful to fulfill His promises. And we walked through and we learned four truths about that statement. We learned that a delayed promise is not an unfulfilled promise. We learned that a proclaimed promise will become reality and we learned that a promise from God can provide pr- a purpose and a promise from God can provide hope. We really learned what it meant to wait, and that sometimes in the waiting, we don't like that. But what I've also found <clears throat> is many times in the waiting is where God does some of his most amazing work in us. Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, <clears throat> And while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? But to wait. To wait for what? The promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. They're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And tonight the waiting is over. Tonight we see this promise fulfilled. That promise delayed is being fulfilled in their presence. And, it's gonna, and it is an amazing work of God. If you remember last week, I used this illustration of, of my son and mowing the grass. I think it may have brought back some bad memories for some folks. I had some counseling sessions afterwards, uh, but we made it through. But if you remember, what I talked about is, is kind of two scenarios. One scenario where I just told my son to go mow the grass and gave him little to no help. The other scenario is where I, I gave him everything that he needed to accomplish the task that I, that I asked him to do. And then I said this statement, I said, we serve a good father. He has provided tools, his word, the example, his son, Jesus, and the power to do the work of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the task of being his witnesses to the ends of the earth. We talked about how God gave us his word, his son, and the Holy Spirit to do the work that he has called us. And see what happens, even in the midst of that short statement, we begin to see the beauty and the complexity of the Trinity. And in that statement, we see God working on our behalf. And and what I want to do first, before we even jump into the text, is I want to bring you into Theology 101. I want to really just step into the Trinity and try to help unpack the third person of the Trinity. And you're saying, Ben, I'm not a theologian. I would argue that you are a theologian. The only problem is, are you a good one or a bad one? Because every one of us is a a theologian in that we talk and we think and we say things about God. We study the things of God. So you are a theologian. And sometimes at church we talk a lot about God, but sometimes we do not get into the deeper things. And I want to do that tonight, and I hope you're not going to be mad. <laughs> but we're going, to, we're going to walk through this, and I hope that you walk away with a greater understanding of the Trinity, the greater, a greater understanding of who our God is, and that will bring you to the point of praising Him more. All right, y'all practice with me. Say this word, pneumatology. Man, y'all are theologians already. This is just a fancy word that I use to impress people, right? You know, when I want to impress people, I'll use words that they probably don't know what they mean, but I know what they mean, and, and I feel better about myself. Uh, I have a lot of schools, so I can use terms like pneumatology. Listen, if you ever hear this word, do not be confused, do not be dismayed. All that it means, it is the study of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. See, we need to know who the Holy Spirit is. And, and all I'm going to do is I'm going to run through four statements, four truths, about the Holy Spirit, and you're going to walk away with a better understanding of who He is and how He moves and works in our lives today. Why is this important? Because the Holy Spirit has been around since creation, since eternity. The Holy Spirit is God. And we're going to learn a little bit about who He is so that we can better worship Him. The first truth that I want you to understand about the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. I want you to get that. The Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. See, many times in the King James Version, the word Holy Spirit is translated Holy Ghost. And sometimes we end up treating the Holy Spirit as a ghost, this mystical or magical thing that we can't really understand. It kind of pops in and pops out of our lives, and and we miss the whole point of it. But you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what, and so much so that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Trinity is a term that we use to describe our glorious God. See, Trinity, it, you need to understand that God eternally exists as three persons God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and yet there is one God. Each person of the Trinity is coexistent. That means that they all exist at the same time together. There's heresies out there that we won't go into that says, no, there's, there's only one God, and one God existed then, and one God existed now, and in different forms, and all that kind of stuff. If you ever hear anybody say that God exists in different forms they're bad, <laughs> for lack of a better word. They're just, you don't want to listen to that mess, okay? But you need to understand that they are coexistent. They exist together. They are co-equal. They have subordinate functions, but they are co-equal. That means that one's not better than the other, that they exist eternally. They are e- equal in their power and their attributes and all of that, and then they are co-eternal. They have all existed For eternity. Co-equal. Co-existent. Co-eternal. They are of one nature. Yet three persons. One nature. Yet three persons. That's, That's the key. See some people will say that no. Christianity is a polytheistic religion. In that they worship three gods. We don't. Because our God has one nature. One essence. But. We see it in three persons, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Trinity is found to have the attributes of personality in Scripture. They exhibit intellect, feelings, and will. Each member of the Trinity, and you see this in Scripture, has the power to think, feel, and choose. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says this, as we think about the Holy Spirit, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If the Holy Spirit did not have um, personality, could you grieve Him? No, if He didn't have feelings, if He didn't have will, if He didn't have intellect, you wouldn't be able to grieve Him. So we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what, a what. The second truth we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He possesses divine attributes. When I say attributes, that's just another word for characteristics. Some of the divine attributes would be he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He has all of the attributes. Of God he performs miracles that only God can form can do from Scripture we see the Holy Spirit is involved in creation we see the Holy Spirit involved in the miraculous conception of Mary and we see how the Holy Spirit is involved in salvation and other miracles throughout Scripture that only God can do and throughout Scripture you find the Holy Spirit is listed as a part of the tri, the triune God. and I know this is, this is so good because you need to know who your God is. you need to know who you're worshiping, but you see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. Second Corinthians verse 13 and 14, or 2 uh, Corinthians 13:14 says, "The grace of the Lord Jesus, there's God the Son, and the love of God, God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, be with you all. Paul worshiped a triune God. And as he is closing 2 Corinthians, this is how he closes it. You see the Trinity at Jesus' baptism. Who's being baptized? Jesus, God the Son, right? As he is baptized, he comes out of the water. You hear the voice of the Father. He says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descends as a what? As a dove. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the Great Commission, right? We talked a little bit about that last week. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in who? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal. That's the God we serve. The Holy Spirit is God. The third truth that we want to learn is that the Holy Spirit is instrumental in personal salvation. The Holy Spirit is instrumental in personal salvation. All right, track with me. We're going to go fast, okay? Everybody everybody caught up so far? Everybody good? Joel, you all right? Hey, your eyes are glassing over a little bit. <laughs> This is so good. Track with me. The Holy Spirit in personal salvation allows for conviction to take place. John 16:8, it what it does is it reveals the need to change. John 16:8 says, "And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment." The Holy Spirit helps with regeneration. That's imparting a new spirit and eternal life with God. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 We see that He indwells believers. He lives within believers. Romans 8.9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. This is important. If you are not a child of God, the Holy Spirit does not dwell in you. The only interaction you have with the Holy Spirit as a lost person is conviction. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Then we have baptism. That's placing a believer spiritually in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 verses 13 and 14 says, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. And then finally in sealing that's the guaranteeing the believer's relationship with God. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to praise of his glory. So we see that the Holy Spirit is involved in the personal salvation of individuals. And the fourth truth that we want to learn is that the Holy Spirit provides spiritual gifts to believers. As a child of God, there is not a one of you that does not have spiritual gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit. Some of you say, I have no special gifts. Well, if you're a child of God, that's a lie. Because the Holy Spirit has given you something. Is that exciting to think about? Like no talent whatsoever. I'm not a talented person. So when i start reading these verses, I'm like, yes, I may never beat Joel in ping pong, but at least I have a spiritual gift, right? <laughs> right? That's just one of those things. This is part of it. And so we just got to navigate. We have to understand that God gives gifts to his believers. I love 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 7, and then verse 11. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is giving the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So this is just a slight introduction to pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. My hope and desire is not for you to walk away confused, but it's to walk away with an understanding that we save, serve a great and glorious God. When we start to think more clearly about God and understand Him, it causes us to worship Him more. The Holy Spirit that you're going to see tonight work in miraculous ways is God. He is a who-who. And not a what. He is very involved in personal salvation. And he imparts gifts to his believers. That's the Holy Spirit. That's who we're talking about tonight. And praise God, we serve a God like that. Before we jump into the text and we learn our second lesson, let's just stop right now and pray that God will bless the reading and the teaching of his word. Father God, Lord, we just thank you so much for the beautiful truth that we just walked through really fast. But Lord, to know that the Holy Spirit is a part of a triune God that has love within himself and community and we get to impart and be a part of that. Lord, we are just so grateful. And Lord, I pray that we will start to understand better and see clearly more clearly who you are that will lead us to more worship and lord right now as we begin to dive into acts chapter 2 i pray that your holy spirit will fill this room that you will land on the hearts of believers that need to understand the power that they have in you and that you will land on the hearts of someone that may not know who you are and that you will convict them of sin righteousness and judgment and you will move them to salvation. And Lord, we thank you for this time. And please bless it. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen. So, second lesson we're going to learn from the early church is this. The Holy Spirit empowers humanity to accomplish the work of God. The Holy Spirit empowers humanity to accomplish the work of God. And tonight, we're going to learn three truths about the Holy Spirit from this passage that I think will help you to walk away feeling more confident in who you are in Christ and it will help you to complete that which he has called you to complete. First truth we're going to learn is this: the Holy Spirit empowers his disciples to proclaim the gospel. So we find ourselves, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Wait, don't depart until the promise comes. And he gives us that famous verse in, in verse 8 of chapter 1. It says, When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the world. And so they are waiting and they are praying, and then the day finally happens. Look with me in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, now Pentecost means 50. This is 50 days after, after the Passover. Passover happened in and around the time of Jesus' crucifixion. So think about this. Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was resurrected. He traveled the earth in his resurrected state. In about how many days? Anybody know? 40 days. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover, so this is about 10 days after the ascension of Christ, if I have my math right. So it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place. What did Jesus say? He said, wait, don't depart. And where are they at? They're in one place, and they're waiting And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What you see happening here is the Holy Spirit coming to indwell His people. In the Old Testament, you'll hear and you'll learn about the Holy Spirit coming upon people. What changes in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, is that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell inside of His people. And this is the very beginning of that. Now, look at verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 5. It says, This won't be on the screen, but I want to read it. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under God. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are all of these, are are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them in our own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Tamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and uh, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, that's Gentiles who are following after the Jewish uh, God. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I don't have time to do a lesson on tongues. (laughs) We can talk about that afterwards if you want to. But I believe when we talk about the gift of tongues and we see it happen in miraculous ways, many times it has to do with taking the gospel to somebody else. I have a friend of mine whose name his name's Kyle Roy and I think he has the gift of tongues. He's a missionary in Brazil. He grew up uh, in, uh, he grew up in Uruguay. he speaks English, Portuguese, Spanish and he works with an Italian people group in, Port, uh, in Brazil so he, te- he speaks Italian as well. That's the gift of tongues, I'm telling you. Speaking that many language and all so that he can proclaim the gospel in such a way that people can respond to the gospel. That's the type of tongues that's happening here. But even more miraculous, Kyle had to learn his languages. These individuals were hearing these Galileans speak the mighty works of God in their own language. Did you hear how many people groups I just listed? All of those different languages were being spoken and they were able to hear the mighty works of God. So when we look at this first truth that the Holy Spirit empowers his disciples to proclaim the gospel, he does it right here in a miraculous way. He does it in such a way that when somebody speaks, whether they're speaking the language or whether they're speaking in their mother tongue and the individual that's hearing it hears it, in their own language, I don't know how it happened, but either way, it's a miracle. Amen? That's the type of thing that the Holy Spirit can allow us to do and move and work. See, and what I love, and I I think this is so important, what we see in this text, the Holy Spirit empowers his disciples to proclaim the gospel. Skip down to verse 22 and 24. Peter eventually stands up In this crowd of people, all of these men and women that were in this crowd had some understanding of the Jewish faith. And Peter starts to proclaim the gospel, and we see the gospel here in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus When we talk about proclaiming the gospel, the gospel contains the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You need to understand that. You can talk a lot about God, but you are not sharing the gospel unless you get to the place where somebody understands that they're a sinner, that they're separated from God, that they need to respond to the gospel. And the gospel is this, that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died and was crucified on the cross. He was buried and three days later, he rose again, the death, the burial and resurrection. And because of that, men and women can be reconciled to God when they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. See, that's the gospel. Anything other than that is not the gospel right that is the good news and peter is standing up in the midst of these people and saying you need to know that hey these are the you crucified jesus you are okay with it and because of that you need to understand that that was god's plan so that you might be reconciled to him that's the gospel so if god the holy spirit lives in his children and he empowers his children to proclaim proclaim the gospel, does that mean that God will empower you to share the gospel? It's okay to say yes. Thank you. (laughs) You need to think about that. So, If this first truth about the Holy Spirit is that God empowers His disciples to proclaim the gospel, I want you to think about it this way with me. If you're a child of God, this statement can read this way. The Holy Spirit empowers me to share the gospel. Write that down. The Holy Spirit empowers me to proclaim the gospel. Now, this only works if you're a child of God because the Holy Spirit lives inside of His children. So, if the power to proclaim the gospel is not reliant on you, but reliant on God, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a very good thing. I like that. I like that. See, we get all twisted in knots when the Holy Spirit prompts us to share the gospel because we think it all relies on us. We, we think, oh, if I don't share it right, it's going to be bad. If I don't say the right phrase or if I don't turn the right verse, that it's going to be all messed up and I'm not going to have the opportunity to share. I'm going to mess it up. My Bible tells me it's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the Holy Spirit that lives in me. So when you start believing the lie that you don't need to share the gospel because you mess it up, you need to call it what it is and proclaim the fact that God has empowered you through his Holy Spirit to share the gospel. What kind of confidence can you walk in knowing that God has empowered you to share the gospel? You could go up in the face of death knowing that if God is leading you to that, that even if you lose your life you are still there empowered by the holy spirit to share the gospel isn't that good so stop being fearful that you that you're not able to do it or that it's all reliant on you it is the power of the holy spirit in his children that allows us to proclaim and empowers us to share the gospel young adults what would it look like if we really believed this truth in our lives? I want us to think about that. What would it really look like if we really believed that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel? Our relationships would look a lot different, wouldn't they? our workplace may look a lot different. Our families may look a lot different. Be encouraged. As a child of God, the Holy Spirit empowers you to proclaim the gospel. I could stay there all night, but we got to move on. Second truth is I want us to see, and I think this is important. This goes back to our lesson that God empowers the humanity. And I'll put humanity in there for a reason because I believe God... The Holy Spirit empowers humanity to do the works of God. This second truth is this. The Holy Spirit empowers the lost to be saved. The Holy Spirit empowers the lost to be saved. Look in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. This is after Peter's sermon. I wish I had time to dive into Peter's sermon. He uses scripture. He preaches the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is moving. You just need to go back and read it because it's good. But Acts chapter 2, we see the conclusion of it. In verse 37, it says, Now when they, that's the crowd, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've been reading in John chapter 14, I think, where it says that the Holy Spirit is coming and He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So you need to understand that salvation is a work of God. And apart from that, it doesn't matter how much you share or how convincing or how persuasive you are, it takes the work of God to save the lost. So when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they knew they needed to respond. And how did they respond? They said, what shall we do? And Peter says them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is all God. Your salvation is not dependent upon how good you are or how clean your life is or how sinless you are. Salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the work of the Father drawing you to himself. You need to really understand and believe that. Because so many times we live lives, defeated lives, because we think we have something to do in order to please God. If that was the case, we could work our way into heaven. I love Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, not of what? Not of what, guys? Not of works, lest any man, any woman can boast. That's it. It's for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We need to understand that, that we Number one, we can't save anyone. And number two, we can't save ourselves. So if you're here today and you've been living a life where you're trying to work your way to heaven, where you're trying to be good enough, where you're trying to please God so that you think all your good will outweigh all your bad so that when you stand before God, He will let you into heaven, you are believing a lie and you're living a defeated life. Because the Holy Spirit, if he is here and he is in this place, he is convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And you have to believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross, his death, his burial, and resurrection, so that you might be able to be saved. Putting your faith and trust in him alone for your salvation. That's how you are saved. It is a work of the Spirit. Now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through this miraculous uh, uh, work of tongues and the preaching of the gospel, and the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment, heaven came down. Peter's first sermon 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. Isn't that awesome? when God moves, He can move in big miraculous ways and save 3,000 people at one time if He wants. Or, we learn from the gospel that He and the angels celebrate when one that is lost is found. I don't think, I think there's a party going on in heaven when this happened. I think, hey, the Holy Spirit's on earth now. God is moving in His people. People are being saved. I think there's celebration that was taking place. But if there's one person in here tonight that needs to respond and allow God to save you, that same type of celebration can take place because God is the one who saves. So listen. Listen. Do you need Jesus? Do you have a relationship with God? Is the Holy Spirit working on your heart, convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Is there anybody in here that needs Jesus? you need to recognize that you are lost and undone, separated from God because of your sin. Not anything that anybody else has done. It's all on you. You need to recognize the only solution is in Jesus Christ. Are you willing tonight to repent of your sins to turn from your sins, your way, what you want, and turn towards God's, God's way. Are you willing to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where He died as a substitute? He took your punishment so that you might be reconciled to God. Are you ready to believe in that Jesus? And are you willing to receive Him as Lord? And I think this is so important that we receive God as Lord when we make Him Lord of our lives, that means we step off of the throne of our hearts and we allow God to sit in that place and He rules and reigns over every aspect of our life. If you're here tonight and you know that you need Jesus in that way, at the end of this service, there's going to be a time for you to respond. There's going to be people that stand over here by this garage door. I want you to go and tell them that I need Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. The Holy Spirit empowers the lost to be saved. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is still alive and active. And I believe if 3,000 people got saved at the preaching of Peter's sermon, he's an apostle, he's awesome. I believe that maybe just one could be saved tonight off of the words that we're preaching tonight because it's the same power working. That song we sang is important. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that saves you today, that gets you through. And this third truth you need to grab onto because it's so critical. We see that the Holy Spirit empowers His disciples to proclaim the gospel. The Holy Spirit empowers the lost to be saved. Finally, we see the Holy Spirit indwells all God's children. See, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance to them. Who's the all there? That's all of those that were there waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. All the apostles for sure. Maybe it was more of the 120 that were there at the ascension. Skip on down to verse 39. It says, this is Peter closing it out. He's saying, for the promise is for you. What's the promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. You need to understand that if you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And if everything that we learned at the beginning is true, then that means God lives where? in us wow just let that sink in god has taken up residence in me is that powerful do you realize what that means The power of Creator God rests and resides in you. You need to begin to identify with that truth. See, some of you walk around and you say, You know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. What if you flipped it around and said, I just happen to be, I am a saint who happens to sin? Because, see, sometimes we identify more with our sins than we do with our sainthood. Anybody tracking with me? Anybody guilty of that? We allow our sins, our struggles, our past to to be our identity and not the fact that we have the power of God living in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, Paul is talking about this issue of sexual immorality within the church. And he's pleading with them to flee from it. He says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his or her own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are a temple of the Almighty God. What are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? Do you claim that in your life? When temptation comes, and it does come for us all, Do you give in to that temptation and it's because you are weak or do you fight against that temptation because you know you have the power of God in you? When the opportunity comes for you to share a testimony, for you to proclaim the gospel, do you allow your nerves to keep you from doing what you know God's calling you to do or do you claim the power of God in you to say that I can share the gospel because it's not about what I can do, it's about what He can do through me and this is just a basic understanding of the Holy Spirit and there's so much more that I wish we could really dive into but young adults I just I have this burden in my heart and I just believe that some of you when you walk out of this place you live a defeated life because you are not living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit that's in your that's in you. you walk around struggling not allowing god to give you the victory not allowing anybody else in to help you with that struggle that is not john 10:10 10, 10. please do me a favor everybody turn to john 10:10 10, 10. because this verse is only realized when we truly allow the Holy Spirit to have full reign in our lives. John 10, 10. It's a famous verse. You probably can quote it. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Are you living the abundant life? Are you living life to the fullest? If you are not fully resting in the power of the Holy Spirit that you have as a child of God, I would say that you are not living the abundant life. So tonight we have learned just these three simple truths. The Holy Spirit empowers His disciples to proclaim the gospel. The Holy Spirit empowers the lost to be saved. And the Holy Spirit indwells all of His children. Which truth do you need to grab hold of tonight?